Welcome everyone to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. We're in a series called In Your Element. Say, In Your Element. It's finding your place and purpose in life. And I want to start by declaring this over you today. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are, not what they say you are, not what the world says you are. You are who God says you are. Even when they say you don't fit the description, even if they say you don't have the qualifications, even if they tell you you don't have the pedigree, you are who God says you are. Jesus was born in a cave, yet he comes from the line of King David, but he also comes from Rahab, a prostitute as well. So God wants to take you places your resume doesn't qualify you for. God wants to accomplish things you've never done before. And if God called you, they can't cancel you. No man, no demon, no devilish agenda can stop the plan of God for your life. You are who God says you are. So we've been talking about purpose, finding your place, the part you play in the big scheme of things. And you are a masterpiece uniquely designed by God, commissioned to fulfill his ultimate plan and your purpose, which is to fill the earth with his glory and lead people to Jesus. You are God's glory. Do you know that? You're God's glory. That's what he says about you. Remember, purpose is defined this way, a setting forth of a thing and then placing it in clear view. That's what purpose is. In other words, God wants you to shine so that you light up your surroundings because you are the light of the world. And you can't talk about purpose without talking about identity. We discussed that last week, but we're going to discuss it one more time today because identity is is the center of your purpose in life. Identity, who someone really is, the unique qualities, attributes, talents, beliefs, personality that make a person. Identity. One thing I know, we have an enemy who has an agenda to steal your identity. We see it under attack like never before. Identity is being altered right now, abused and confused right in front of us. And the reason why people don't know who they are is simply because they don't know who God is. That's why I love that song because that song gives us another great picture of who God really is. He's a father. He's a good, good father. And we as the Christian church... Followers of Jesus have an amazing opportunity and responsibility to give the proper vision of God to the world, to show them Jesus, the real Jesus. And that happens when we know our identity. See, I don't think the world expects Christians to be perfect. I just think they want them to be real, to be relational, not judgmental. To be heavenly minded, yes, but still down to earth. So we, children of God, 
have a critical part to play in showing the world who God is. And when you see him, when they see him, you will see you because you are made in the very image of God, the likeness of God. I was having a conversation the other day with a, a gentleman and just, just getting to know him. He's not from this area, but uh, he's, he's been through a really tough time. He lost his wife not too long ago, and, and he has a lot of questions. He, he's really guarded against God. And so I've just kind of been, been trying to sneakily, by prayer, you know, get Jesus into his life and show him how much God loves him. And we had a really great conversation as he's sitting down, and, 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 I, and the Holy Spirit led us for him to talk about his, his wife who passed away. Tears are flowing down his eyes. And this guy, he, he's been through it. He, he, he's, he's been through a lot of storms in life. And he can't stop crying. He said, I just want to see God. I don't see him. I said, look in the mirror. Now, we're not God, but we're made in the image of God. So when, when you see you, when you see people around you, you're looking at the very image of God himself. But all different personalities, different looks, he made you just the way he wanted to make you. In the very likeness of God, Genesis 1.27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, when God created Adam, the Bible says he formed him from the dust. He fashioned Adam. Well, how did God do that? Did he make a statue? Did he draw a picture first? Or did he do a LeBron James and throw some dirt up in the air and Adam suddenly appeared? Well, that word formed tells us what probably happened. The word formed means to lay down, I'm not going to do it, and spread out. To lay down on the ground and spread out like this. That's what it means. So what probably happened, what I think happened, was that God laid down on the earth and spread out, made a form just like himself, and then he breathed into Adam's nostrils. Yuck. But there's a reason for that. Because that means he was close. He was close. He was intimate. And in that intimate moment, Adam came to life. And guess what? He had no fear. He had no insecurity. He had no worries. He was living so close to God, talking with him, walking with him, intimate. Well, why is that important to know? What does this have to do with identity? Because intimacy forms identity. That's where it starts. Intimacy. We're all made in the image of God. But there's so many people who don't know who they are because I've never really truly gotten close to God. Intimacy forms identity. God wasn't just making a statue. He was giving Adam his identity. God wasn't somewhere off in the distance like many people think he is. He didn't have his angels do his work for him. He did it 
personally. He breathed into Adam's nostrils. He was up close and very personal. See, when you get close to God, you find God, and then you find you. You begin to understand you better only when we embrace intimacy. So I, I grew up living guarded in, in my life. I, I grew up in an insecure environment. I was very cautious when it came to relationships. I don't even think I really dated much. I didn't. I was scared. Um, then I met Jesus. And then I met Emily. And then I met her family. And in her family were a few kissers. And nobody kissed me. Maybe except for a couple girlfriends at times. But nobody kissed me. And our family, we were kissers. We were fighters. Come on. My, my, like we were looking for a brawl. That's my, my family. So I, I, I enter Emily's life. And, and I notice that in her family, there's a few you know, cute, you probably heard the story before, but I'll say it again. A few cute people, especially her five-foot-old grandma who's gone to be with Jesus now, sweet Evelyn. Now, every time she were at a family gathering, Evelyn, Evie would come out, and she'd be looking for someone to kiss. And I knew that, and I knew it. So I, there, I, was, I was already thinking ahead of time. Every family gathering, Christmas time, New Year, whatever it is, birthday party, wherever Evelyn was, I wasn't. And so I would make a beeline to a couch. I'd sit down so that I didn't have to do that kissy thing. True. So one year, I just forgot about it. And we were kind of on our way down to Grand Rapids to Evelyn's house for a New Year's party for their family, a celebration. And here I am walking in the door. I can see it as plain as day. I'm walking in this white house that they have and open the door and I look around and all the family's there. We just arrived a little late and they're all sitting on couches and chairs. Usually, usually when I go into a family, their family event, I would find the open chair. There's nothing open this day. And I'm looking at all around me thinking, oh my goodness. And immediately I see Evelyn and she's right across from me. She's, she's probably about maybe maybe 15, 20 feet away, looking right in my eyes. And she has one thing on her mind. She's finally going to be able to kiss me. I know it. Smiling so big. She's like, oh, I, Dan's here. And he has nowhere to go. And then she thought I was like, this is what I want to do too. So she's coming at me. She's got one thing in her mind. I can't wait to kiss him. I'm thinking, get me out of here. I'm screaming in my head. It's like ABC slow motion. I'm walking towards her step by step. This thing is going to happen. This is going to happen. It's going to go down. I've never done this before with, with her family. And now it's going to happen. And the true story is all of a sudden we're, this thing took forever. And she is all of a sudden we meet, and I literally close my eyes. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I close my eyes. She's five foot. Right? I'm just over six foot. Shrinking, but I'm still. And I meet her face to face to give her a kiss. And I find myself kissing her eyeball. <laughs> literally, my, my lips are locked on her eye. I can feel her eyelash right here. Her lips. And I'm kissing her because I close my eyes. I'm like, what am I going, how do you do this? And all I do is I step back, cute little Evan. She's kind of perplexed. And I just say, I'm sorry. I just walk away. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. What are you going to say to that? 
Awkward. But that wasn't it. Emily also had a really strong German grandma. Is it Hattie? Remember, was it Hattie? Hattie. And Hattie was, was usually in a wheelchair later on in life, and she would, you'd, you'd be around her, and she'd grab you by the neck, and she'd pull you in. And I didn't, I didn't know that was coming out. She pulls me in, and I find myself kissing the back of her neck. Didn't mean to, right? And then the kicker was her grandpa. Grandpa was getting up there, and, and great guy, great family. One Christmas day, I see him, and he, this guy, like, Listen, this guy's not really a kisser, kisser. I mean, he does on the cheek a little bit, but one day, he, I don't know, he just wasn't thinking. I don't know, he thought how thought I was. He thought I was his long-lost son or something that he'd never seen before. He's seen me many times. He came right up to me and just locked lips with me. He's kissing me on the lips with her brother standing right there chuckling. These are the things that happened to me because God knew and I knew that I've been living too guarded with people. Too guarded. And thank God God's working that out and I've come a long way. But God used intimacy, uncomfortable intimacy in that way to get me to understand what God really wants for my life. See, either I just know God, or I know God, or I just know about him. There's a big difference. When we choose to get closer to God, we will experience more of his presence, more of who he is, more of his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you get close, you will discover more of you and more of your purpose. See, in a nutshell, identity is all about close relationship with God and people Identity is formed from intimacy. We live in a time where too many people have too many relationships with other people they will never meet or never know through social media, movies, uh, reality TV. Don't fall for that trap. Develop close relationships with the people God has given you right in your home in close proximity to you. And then allow God to lead you also into an authentic relationship with him. Because your purpose, your destiny, your identity is found only in him. Here's the verse, Acts 17, 28. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity. Just as the poets have said, our lineage comes from him. There's a lot there. In him, through him, not around him, not just around him, and not just by him, but in and through are words that describe intimacy, closeness. Either we know God by experience, yada, like we talked about last week, or we just know about him, about him. So let me show you this in the scripture. Remember, identity is formed from intimacy. Listen, God's goal is to love you close. He's waiting for an eyeball kiss. I promise you, he is. Nothing phases him. It's never uncomfortable. 
for God. He just loves it. Any way he can get close. So I want to I help you for a moment. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching here, and then I'm going to go back to some preaching. But teach, I want to teach you something that, that I think is, is, a, is a hindrance with God's kids, with his children. And that is the enemy loves to speak things in our lives. I'll say he loves to twist scripture. Matter of fact, he still is the lead singer for the band Twisted Scripture. So he, he, that's what devil, the enemy tries to twist things. But let me, I want to I try to make sense of a couple verses here that many people have heard before. Maybe you haven't, but I want to help you. Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. I thought, what? Man, they're praying for people. They're going to church. They're doing all these things. And yet, I don't get it, God. You got to show me what's happening here. It's a very challenging truth. I never knew you. Again, these are people praying for others in Jesus' name. They're prophesying and building people up in Jesus' name. They were even witnessing miracles in Jesus' name. Yet Jesus says, I never knew you. Keyword new. K-N-E-W, knew, I never knew you, translated from the Greek, I didn't feel you. That's what it means, I didn't feel you. We never got close. I wanted to, he would say, but, he, but you wouldn't let me. Now, this kind of close that Jesus died for happens at born again. At the time of our spiritual birth, it happens. It begins there with a simple, authentic, real, and many times desperate prayer to receive Jesus into our hearts. It's the Greek word, Gnosko, say gnosko. It means to know by feeling. Yes, to be acquainted with, and yes, to, to have understanding, but it really means to know by feeling. You feel me? Right? That, you feel me? Right? To know by feeling. Now, let's look at another verse that helps us understand this word, gnosko, because Jesus said, hey, we never gnoskoed. We never got close, man. I didn't feel you. You didn't feel me. That's what he's saying. Gnosko. Say gnosko. So let's look at another verse. Uh, a few years ago, I was talking to a gentleman about a verse I'm about to read you. And this man, was, he followed Jesus. He was admitting to me the, the many mistakes he's made in the past and in the present, the struggles he's having. But he had a desire to know God more but he was tormented. He believed that either he lost his salvation or never really had that spiritual birth with God ever before. He was so focused on his past struggles, past sins, and present struggles he was still getting through that he felt condemned. He felt beaten down. My conclusion was he was being distracted and deceived by, I call him Slewfoot, a wicked spiritual enemy who loves to steal identity. He was being led away from God and the truth of his word. That's what Satan does. Divides, right? He divides. So here's the verse, here are the verses he was reading. He read these verses, called me up and say, I don't think I'm saved. Or I don't think I ever gave my heart to Jesus because right now, I, I, I don't feel God. 
I don't feel God. So here's where he's reading. 2 Peter 2, 20, 22. Interesting. And when the people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus Christ and then get tangled up again and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. He's thinking, oh man, I'm worse off than before. I've got my personal struggles and now, oh, so you see the spiral happening here. It would be better that if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it, than to reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns with vomit, and another says a washed pig returns with mud. Now, as this fellow's reading this, he's already feeling bad about himself, focusing on his current struggles and his past struggles. And after he reads this, he feels even more condemned because he thinks this verse is talking about him. You ever felt that way? You wake up thinking, am I saved? Like, you know, maybe you got frustrated with your spouse. Maybe you, 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 you did something out of the flesh that you regret. And you think, am I saved? Am I the only person? That's why the Bible says, in the morning, put on the helmet of salvation. You know, here's the deal about salvation. When you gave your heart to Jesus, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. You're sealed. You're sealed. Man, if I got to get saved every other day, we're in trouble because that's just too much work. That's too much work on my part. Jesus did the work. He saved you. Do not confuse salvation with sanctification. Sanctification is the process of God cleaning me up. I'm still being cleaned up. You're still being cleaned up. But you're saved. Jesus saved you. If you gave your heart to Jesus, you're saved. You're sealed. I don't want to have a debate about this because, man, I couldn't do that. There's only one person who did it, Jesus. But guess what? I'm going through a process. I still got stuff. The way that I see that is this. I see, that, I see this, this life as, a, as, as we're still in a battle, but yet we won the war. So when Jesus came and Jesus stripped the devil of his power, it's like in any war with a country against a country. One country goes in and takes over the land in that country, right? They won the war but there's always some rogue snipers still hanging out in that land. Come on. There's still, there's still those in that land thinking, you know, I'm not giving up this land. And that's what the devil does. He says, I'm not giving up this land. Dan, you gave your heart to Jesus, but, I, but, but, but guess what? I still got snipers in my life. I still got him trying to accuse me, throw things my way, trying to defeat me. No, I just need to identify where he's at and take him down. Yeah. Even though we won the war, it's still a fight and a battle. That's what sanctification is. Don't confuse salvation with sanctification. We're all being sanctified, cleansed. Come on, right? We're being transformed. That's going to that's gonna happen our whole life, sorry to say. When we get to heaven, we'll all have a big old party. We don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. We don't have to deal with the rogue snipers. Come on. We got any rogue snipers happen? Anybody, when you wake up in the morning, that rogue sniper tells you, tells you some things that aren't true, and maybe they are true, but in Jesus' eyes, they're not true. I'll show you that in a minute. So this guy 
is feeling bad. The devil always tries to make you feel bad, beat you down. And he tries to make you feel three ways, helpless, worthless, and unloved. Matter of fact, Psychology 101 tells us this. Every single negative, toxic thought that you can have in your life all fall in those three categories. I'm helpless, I'm worthless, and I'm unlovable. And those are the three wicked lies of the devil. So you gotta combat it with the opposite. God is my helper. I am worthy, I'm treasured, I'm valuable. And God loves me. He sure does by giving his one and only son for you and me. Here's a simple truth. Every toxic thought that makes you spiral into despair or defeat stems from a wrong belief of God. And if you had those three truths in your back pocket, every time he shows up, you're gonna defeat him. I have a helper in God. He's gonna help me. He's helping me. He's with me. I have a God who calls me his son or daughter. I am cherished and loved by God, and I'm lovable. Do you believe it? We'll get there. As a believer, we should never feel condemned, worthless, helpless, or unlovable. As a believer, we should never feel condemned, worthless, helpless or unlovable when reading his word. Convicted and challenged, yes, but we should always be led to life, to his love and to our freedom. So I believe this fella was in another place, the enemy's territory. He was getting hit by a sniper. My job was to, was to help him, get him out of the pit he was in. Side note, there are three pits in life. The pit we jump into, how many have jumped into a pit before? Made a bad decision. Come on, all of us. And how about pits we fall into? How many of us have fallen into a pit before? Just fall into And pits we're thrown into. Come on. Man, somebody, I just got thrown into a pit. Like Joseph. But here's what I want to say. Regardless of how you got into that pit, God wants to get you out immediately so that he can get you close to him. So I asked this fella to remember the time he experienced God in a profound and meaningful way. So he told me the time when he gave his life to Jesus and he felt the presence of God and the love of God in his life. I said, looks like you just fell into a pit. You've been distracted. And now you're on the verge of me to see, but slowly but surely as he remembered God's goodness, he remembered the feelings he had with God. He came out of that dark pit of despair. I see how many Christians can be confused by these verses I'm about to read. I know I'm setting it up. Now remember, Jesus wants a gnosko with you. He wants to feel you. That's the word we just read in Matthew 7. But now I want to read you another word called epignosko. Because that's the word, that's the word that he was hearing. He was hearing for those who epignosko. Epi, it's like epidermis. It's what's, what's above or around or by, the outside. So I had to 
bring him back to this. And I showed him. I said, well, hey, you know Jesus. 2 Peter 2.20 through 22 says this. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing about epigonosco, our Lord, they just know about him in their head, not their heart. They get entangled up and slaved by sin again. They're worse off than before. It would be better that they had never epigonosco known about the way of righteousness, then to epigonoso, know about it, and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. So Peter was talking about in these verses where people who only knew God with their head and not with a feeling heart. Never born again. I explained this to him. He was born again. I reminded him of his feelings for God and with God put his focus back on Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, the facts and the feelings followed. And out of the pit he rose. Out of that pit, because he thought that that was him in that verse. Even in his struggle, he thought, I must have lost my salvation. No, 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 no. You gnosko God, don't you? We wouldn't be talking if you didn't gnosko God. These people, epi, they knew about God, they were around God and by God, but didn't have a feeling, you guys. You guys still here? Going some way, remember identity, which is critical to finding your purpose, is formed from intimacy. That was God's goal from the very beginning. Look at this, Acts 17, 26 through 27, as we're starting to finish up. From one man, he created all the nations through the whole earth, that's you and I. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations, you and I, to seek after God and perhaps feel, say feel, feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. The Bible says, am I not a God who hides? I thought, What? Why'd you say that, God? He says, because I like to play hide and seek. Just like we like to play hide and seek with our, our kids like to play it with us. And so all of a sudden our kids, hey, let's play hide and seek. And they hide, but the truth is they don't want to be lost. They want to be found. So if, if it's too long, if I go off and, and read a book and, and let them hide for long enough, they'll, they'll start making animal noises. They'll start making noises in order to be found. That's what God does. That's what God is. We play hide and seek for us to seek him. So he hides over here. He makes little noises. He gives signs and wonders. He just kind of puts the breadcrumbs there. It's in order for us to go find him and feel him. Good preaching, I think. Well, maybe come down here and kiss you, sir. I'll let Wayne do that. He already gave me his kiss already. He heard something. Came, I was out there in the foyer before service. He came in his, that bristly kiss right here. See, your purpose, your identity is discovered through feeling relationships. Not service relationships. Feeling relationships with God and others. So let me finish right here. I'm going to wind this down and give you the, the picture of this perfect picture of, of what I'm talking about. We see this in the story of the prodigal son and the other son, a tale of two 
relationships. Let me just read Luke 15, 11 to 24 to illustrate the point further. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of estate right now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Verse 17, here we go. When he finally came to his senses, if there's a prayer that you need, and I need to pray for the people we love that don't know Jesus, pray this one. God, let them come to their senses. See, when he prayed, when he thought that, when he thought that, he had the right thought, all those toxic thoughts in his mind, thinking, I'm spiraling down, I'm in despair, my God, God doesn't love me, no one's going to help me, did you, did you see that? No one helps me, no one loves me, I'm worthless. And all of a sudden, that glimmer of hope, wait a minute, wait a minute, look at what he says, look at what he thinks, check this out. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Here we go. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him right on the eyeball. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Dad just said, ha, ha, son. Oh, I can tell you've been through it. Let me just change the way you think a moment. Verse 22. But his father said to the servants, quick. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Interesting. You got people in your life that need Jesus? Start preparing the fatted calf. Start preparing for their, their homecoming. Come on, already, by faith, by faith. Start preparing it start getting it ready. The father, the father had faith that his son would come home. We must celebrate with the feast. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and was now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Let the party begin. Pause for a moment. Yeah, amen. This is so not like the world we live in. See, when I got in trouble, I got the belt. Dad was coming home from a long day of work, usually tired and frustrated. He wasn't going to ask questions. He wasn't looking to build a relationship. The only thing that was going to get close was his hand to my butt, and then my butt in my room. So how the father reacted and what the father did is so different than our world. But it's so, so good and so right and completely and consistently the father's heart. He didn't rip into his son. He gave him a robe. He didn't remind him of his wrongs. He gave him a ring. He did not remind him of his past. He threw a party. The father got even closer to his son that day. 
we could live in this, if we could just live in this story, we would be transformed. And then we would see people's lives transformed. Here's the rest of the story. Look at this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother's back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of a safe return. Verse 28, what? The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. Look at performance right there. And in that time, you never give, give me one young goat for the feast with my friends. Yet when his son, the son of yours, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said, look, dear son, you have always stayed by around me. You've known about me. What are you saying? And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. The story ends right there as we finish. What happened to the older brother? It doesn't tell us what happened. It doesn't show that the older brother, what, what, what he's doing now. Did, you ever, did, did he ever come in? Did he ever get close? We don't know if he ever gnoscoed with his dad, became intimate with his dad. We don't know what happened next. But it's possible and unfortunate that this may have been the end of that story. The older brother was by his dad, around his dad, knew about his dad, but I believe he never gnoscoed with his dad. He never felt, never had that feeling. See, it's possible to be overeducated and unloved when it comes to Christianity. It's possible to know a ton of scripture, stories, doctrine, but have very little experience with God's love. So I wanna ask for a miracle in this place of his love to cover you today in the days and weeks and months and years ahead to overwhelm you with his love, to bless you with a robe and a ring. It's the first thing the father did when his son came back, gave him his love and then gave him his identity back. Wow. Will you let God cover you with his love? Will you let God cover you with the righteousness of Jesus? Colossians 1.22 says, Yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his very own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him with a single fault. When you receive God's robe and his love, Satan goes mute. He can't accuse you anymore because you know you're loved. You know you're loved. You know you're righteous because of what Jesus has done. So I say to you today, just do what Bart did. Mark 10, 50. Bartimaeus, who was struggling in his life, 
threw aside his coat, his past, his mistakes, his sin, jumped up and came to Jesus. So, you can jump up if you want, but I know, I know you've been sitting for a while. Just stand up if you would. Stand right up. Jump up if you want. That's what Bartimaeus did. Because what, what I want God to do is cover you with something you've never experienced before. Like, you're not going to say, well, how did, how did Dan? I didn't do anything. Dan didn't do that. But God did. God can visit you anywhere and cover you with his love and cover you with his grace and tenderness and mercy. That's what God wants to do. He's just waiting for an invitation, a simple invitation. So throw off your old robe. Throw off your old identity and receive your robe, your new righteousness, your royalty, your relationship, your identity formed and from your loving heavenly Father. Would you just lift your hands to him right now? We're just receiving this gift by faith. It's, this is a prophetic act in saying, uh, just say, just say, Father, today I receive a robe, your love and my identity. Father, today I receive a ring, my royalty, that I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm a child of God. Today, I receive Jesus, the one who died for me, the one who loves me forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E.org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac. For upcoming events and information and ways to connect, God bless you and have a beautiful week.